Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. My name is Danny Lazell, your host for season four, and today we are sharing the Q&A from our recent webinar on the state of scientific purchasing. In this episode, Frankie Barker and Sara Lopez Segura join me to discuss the latest buying habits of scientific purchasers and the marketing channels that impact their decision making. We've got a series of questions that came in during the registration and also we'll answer any questions that come in live today. So if you do have a question you want asking, then just drop it into the Q&A tab and we'll try to get to it in the next sort of 25, 25 minutes or so. Um, so clicking upon what we were talking about, this question is about top of funnel and specifically how do you prove the ROI on top of funnel activities? Uh, Frankie, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, so it probably goes back to, to the slides we were looking at before. Um, your top of funnel activities would have a different a different measure of success or KPI, if you like, as to as to what you know what denotes success. Whereas your bottom of funnel, you're probably looking at your your lead generation, like that nine point eight four percent, I think it was that we had for product profiles. That's how how much traffic they convert. They convert at nearly nearly ten percent. Whereas for top of funnel, it's a bit different. I suppose you could assign a value to um, assign a value to to each page view. It could be you know, one cent, one penny, one or one cent even. Um, but it, it's you're not judging that on on the leads generated because the leads generated was about 0.46 percent from 12 million uh, page views that we had. Um, I suppose it, it probably helps if you take the whole thing in its entirety. So we often ask clients. What is a typical or average order value? And if, if you're talking in sort of tens of thousands, if not hundreds, thousands, or even millions of dollars, then uh, it's easy to work back from that point. You know, if you've got, say, you've got 10,000 page views and you convert 10% page views on an article and you get 10% of those to your product page or your, your value proposition page, you've got a thousand people. So you've gone from 10,000 to a thousand. You go from 10% of that for the conversion. Uh, you go from a thousand down to a hundred leads generated, and then say you you have a ten percent conversion rate for your leads to sales. You're looking at a hundred down to ten. So, you know, if, if you've got ten sales um, and you're selling equipment that costs fifty thousand dollars, then you're looking at half a million in sales, which you can start to work it out from using those numbers. Yeah, and um, good question is coming from Will is asking about thoughts on the data very bright. Uh, product value, for example, things that cost a few hundred dollars compared to things that might cost a million dollars. So, Will, today we've decided to present on a few of the key points of the of the research. There was so much to to go through that we just, if we tried to present it all, it wouldn't have been possible. But we do go into this in much more detail in the market report, which we'll be sharing shortly. So, um, you can check that out, and you'll you'll find answers to, to that question there. Um, yeah, well, typically, I think the sales cycles are a lot shorter for for things under under 5k was it sarah and then yeah. um anything over 5k you've got longer sales cycles more decision makers uh, that's the the trend that we were seeing but yeah mm-hmm. danny says we'll be sharing that in the in the report yeah uh when another question about getting more engagement from or sort of our best tips for getting more engagement from potential buyers sarah any any thoughts on that uh first you have offer as much type of content as you can that we mentioned trying doing some a b testing and see what was about doesn't we the the service is a start great starting point just to see what your 
target demographics might might think or might notice more on your website, but you also have to put yourself in the shoes of your buyer persona and try and see how they would see the website because I know it's hard to it's hard to see the website that you've worked and you see every day and you know where everything is from the point of a, a third person that will come and it's new to that website. So I, I always advocate for a customer-centric marketing. So try and get in touch with a few with a few of your customers. Like Danny has pointed out, ask for feedback. What is the first thing they've noticed? Try and offer plenty of links. And you can see on Google Analytics or any other metric software where your customers are going from the website. Maybe they're not going to um, to conversion pages because they're not readily available. They're not easy to find. You you have to try and wipe your brain and come to your homepage with a new mentality and see what what where would I go from from here? And that's where you start seeing what you can offer to generate more engagement. Yeah, I think um, that's one of the questions that we asked you guys. You've been with the business like one and two years respectively now, but it's it's that fresh pair of eyes. People say you can't see the wood for the trees, but it's it's always a good question to ask new recruits or ask people that you're interviewing. You know, especially if we're all working in marketing departments here, it's it's you know, what do you view from the website? Any changes that you'd, you'd suggest? That kind of thing um, always helps. Yeah, you can also test it on customers as well, so you can jump on a Teams call to get them to share their screen, just to watch how they navigate around your website. Um, probably be different to how you as a marketer navigate it. So, yeah, there's there's lots of different things you can do, but it's a really important point, I think. And hotspot software as well. We've used that in the yeah. past, um, where you can basically track mouse movements and what what gets clicked on. Um, yeah, again, it all comes. It, it ties into A/B testing as well. You can hypothesize what works, but that actually gives you hardcore data and you can see how people are behaving in, in real time. Yeah, there, there was another question about managing their own bandwidth. And I think this is a, a good point. We're talking about how about how you can test all these different things and, and stuff like that. But how do we how do teams how can can and should teams prioritize, Frankie? Um well we yeah we've grown from it was you know, just me a couple of years ago to now there's four or five of us in in the team. For me, it's the project management software that's been been really helpful because you're able to see you know, what work have we got on the books, uh, you know how how much time is it going to take, who's doing what, who's got ownership, who's got um, ownership and or transparency as well. So you can see exactly who's you know who's looking like they're overloaded this week. Oh, Rebecca, can you help Sarah with that, etc. So that that's um. Well, we use Trello, but I know Asana is pretty good as well at that sort of stuff. And there's there's loads of different project management tools out there. I think Monday Monday dot com hits me on a on a daily basis with the adverts as well. So um, they know that I'm in the market. Yeah, there's a, there's another question about um, learning more about your customers' buying habits. So this is a little bit of what I was touching on, or what Rebecca was uh, touching on before. You can run your surveys, so using the software that's available out there to ask questions. You can either do this by having a set amount of questions so you can compare your data in that way, or you can have open access question boxes where you can just, maybe it's easier on a fewer on fewer people so you can get more insight into what people are thinking. The other thing you can do is you can get insights from your sales team or your customer-facing teams, or you can jump on sales calls, um, discovery calls, et cetera, as a marketer and then find out firsthand what are your customers' pain points, what are their buying habits, et cetera. So a combination of of data and then real life insight, I think it I think works well. 
Any other thoughts on that one, guys? I'd say don't be afraid to ask for the negatives. But some things like um, unsubscribing reason, because people are more willing to provide feedback when it's negative. And that way, at least you, it will give you the chance to remove something that might be a potential pain point or barrier on the website just straight away. So that is a good place to start. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to get probably some of the better insights from people complaining about stuff, although it's you've got to take heavy complaints the same way you take really positive um, positive outcomes. So it's never as good as you think. It's never as bad as you think. So somewhere in the middle is going to give you the to give you the right sort of yeah. people with strong sentiments either way will be more likely to to comment yeah it's like um like what you see on social media isn't it yeah. <laughs> people polarized um, polarized by yeah just any any issue yeah. <laughs> um this question is about so they're asked about how you develop a culture of customer-centric marketing so i think this came in from a company that's a, it's a sort of big multinational company um and they'll have an existing sort of culture and they're they're looking at how they can create a more customer-centric marketing culture across the board because obviously marketing is just one part of the of of the puzzle um frankie what would you what do you think about that uh yeah it's i mean it's it's becoming more and more necessary whereas in the past it maybe wasn't you know the customer was important but now it's becoming absolutely you know the be all and end all i think it's kind of come from the Amazon um, playbook as well. I, I know Jeff Bezos used to put a, a chair, an empty seat at the end of every table in every meeting. Um, I say that like I was in there. <laughs> he used to do that to represent the customer. Um, and that, that would be, well, because the customer is, is important. Marketing is the first touch point that the, the a customer has with your business. And then it's sales. And then it's probably finance after that. So, e, you know, even through to finance operations and, customer service, all of those parts can can play a role in this in making you know, the customer the champion, basically. So if no, no one likes ringing up you know, customer services, take your bank or your insurance company or whatever it is, if you're ringing up someone like that, you want it to be a slick process from the moment you pick up the phone. You want to make sure that you're speaking to someone within 10 seconds. But that, that unfortunately isn't the reality in a lot of instances. Um, you want to make sure that they've got your data, your up-to-date data. So they should be using a CRM. They should be using a CRM with with all of your your case files and and everything, all the relevant information that they need for you. But you, you see this; it's it's quite simple to say it, but it's it's hard to to do and execute well. But yeah, from marketing to sales to finance to operations to customer service, even to sort of offboarding customers, like how do you how do you do that well? Like and and then. That, that I suppose if you do that well, it gives you a, a reason to call call them back in a year's time or so, or six months time, and and uh, and, and ask you know, what what could we do better. And I'm sure you know, most people, if you ask that in the right way, would would happily lend that information to you. Well, apart from, I suppose that's how people through throughout the business can uh, can uh, obsess over a customer. But you know, it all comes back down to um, segmentation. Um, you know, firmographic segmentation. So what kind of company do they work for? What kind of size, what kind of industry? Um, and then you can start to segment them on, on a personal level as well. What, how old are they? What's the sort of digital literacy like, uh, where do they live? Um, what stage of life are they at? And it enables you to build up a picture of the customer that that's from a marketing sense, but I suppose from a broader sense, it, it runs right through your, your company. Yeah. 
it's one of the main overarching themes of of the research is that buyers today expect a completely streamlined process, be that if they're doing their research online or when they actually become, uh, when they start talking to you or when they're actually a customer themselves, they expect the whole process to be effective, streamlined for them to be able to get the answers they need in a quick uh, in a quick manner. So having some of the things that we've spoken about today is why we've talked about them because it's so important for ensuring that that prospect chooses your company over one of your competitors. Yeah, nowadays you... I found myself expecting every purchasing experience will be like Amazon and I will be able just to swipe a button and it's going to come up in my house the day after. It, it can't always work like that, but you can, as as Frankie was mentioned, mentioning, marketing is the first uh, point of contact for, your, for the vendors. Ask marketing what ideas they have, what they suggest. And now you have the software like CRO, um, A-B testing. You have the software to try out different new ideas because assuming that they were coming from a company where, you know, it's it's big, it's multinational, we don't know how to start to shift into a sort of customer-centric marketing, you need the hard data to back it up. And, and it can, can be something as silly as, well, we like we like in the, com- in the CTA button that it says, speak to an expert because we're experts. But then you can come back to the data and say, well, people actually are clicking more than talk to us because, you know, for various reasons, we can, be, we can seem closer, it can seem not as you know, as daunting, you can come with that data and start, you know, changing a few people's point of views and start, you know, making that bigger change. Yeah. So one of the points you talked about in your presentation was about pricing and having sort of easy to access pricing and just removing that sort of tension point. Um, It's not, people often say it's not always possible because the pricing might be very complex. Your pricing structure might be very complex. Um, your products might be hundreds of thousands of dollars. You don't want to put off potential buyers, but I think more and more it's going to become much easier for vendors to access pricing because if you're not doing it, one of your competitors might, and then all of a sudden they've already got the information they need without having to spoken to to you about your pricing. So I think it's an interesting one, and one we'll probably talk about more in in the future. Uh, I know we're having internal conversations about it at the moment, but allowing as much of that buyer journey to be done on someone else on someone's own terms and before reaching out seems to be the trend that's becoming more and more more prevalent just on that uh, it's the first thing i do whenever i go you know if i'm looking at new software for something it's um um it's the first thing i do i look for a rate card um look for a rate card look for pricing uh look for an explainer video They're, especially if it's like a complex software you're looking to distill a complex topic into a 90 second video so you can understand it like that. But again, when it comes to pricing, I think you've got to use the, you know, if you're buying a Mercedes or you're buying a Range Rover or you're buying a luxury car, let's say, um, you you want an indicative price so that you know you've got a r- rough ballpark figure as to what the budget is. You know, Mercedes might, they might, they might advertise at 40,000 pounds or dollars or whatever. Um, but you know that that's, not necessarily going to be the finished price for the exact make and model that you're getting. It's the, sa- it's the same when we're coming to buying high-value capital equipment, same when we're buying software. You want to know what, what the ballpark figure is so that you can start to you know, have a rough idea for the budget so that when you're having discussions in, in your executive, your management meetings, that you know you're not a million miles away with that budgeting price. A um, few more questions, guys. We've spoken a lot about the buying journey and how we move people through through that journey, what about 
managing the leads. Frankie, are we doing this automated? What's the best process process for this? Again, it's going to depend varying on the size of companies and, and teams. I'd say have a lead scoring system in place. So that's, you know, we score our leads based on two well, two overall factors, characteristics and behavior. So if, if it's a US marketing manager who said, I want to buy, I want to buy some email marketing or I'm interested in reaching a genomics audience, then it's, that tends to, to jump up quite high. Um, yeah. Characteristics are US marketing director. These things are all sort of add, add to the score. Um, we add sort of a point per page view, 10 points for an MQL or a, an ebook download and 40 points for a, uh, for like a, an SQL or like a genuine commercial act, action or um, signal of intent. Uh, if it gets over 90, then, then that kind of then goes to our, um, business development or key accounts teams. Um, I'd say put in place the software. We've got software that can do this for us. We've got it all programmed into Salesforce. So we've, we've automated all that. It used to actually just be me. I'd have to see every lead that came in and then, and then basically choose who that's going to. Uh, it, it was quite a stressful thing. As you can imagine, if you're getting dozens of those a day, um, it was one of the best moments of my life when we managed to automate that. And I was able to step away from the whole process. It was brilliant. But yeah. And, and apart from anything, uh, if I was away or on holiday or if I was in a meeting, uh, leads would just be sat there. So they'd be sat there not getting answered. But in this instance now, we can respond to them within, or they get distributed within minutes and they can be responded to within you know, 15, 20 minutes or so. So that's a really positive, you know, a positive step to take as well. Because if you make an inquiry as a customer, you want someone to acknowledge your inquiry and come back to you as soon as possible. So that's that's a huge thing in terms of like the service level agreement as well. So make sure you put a service level agreement in between sales and marketing as well. So marketing are generating sales qualified leads. You want to know that there's a, a mechanism in place to double or to check or, or to check that it's been received. So when was it received and what was the follow-up action? These are the kind of things that you can put in a, you know, on a big, big picture uh, report in your CRM. So that's what I'd say for that. And if we did, if there wasn't any automation in place, when should the sales team be getting involved? If you were doing it sort of person to person, if there's no automation, uh, well, then it, it, you've probably got a person in in there, haven't you? So that they've got a, you, you've probably got a good feel for what makes a good lead, and then it's how you, when you automate it, or you, if you're fortunate enough to automate it, you're able. It's how you then translate what's the experience in your, you know, your experienced sales managers, your marketing managers, people who've been in the business a long time they'll be able to look at a lead and go, yep, yeah, that's good because it's from this this territory and it's in this industry and they've said X, Y, Z. Um, so as soon as, the sooner you can translate that into a bit of code, the better because then, then it, it removes yourself from the process. Yeah. Uh, there's another question here about launching a new product uh, and what would be the best marketing strategy? Use all the marketing channels, so email, social, webinars, ads on third-party sites, et cetera, simultaneously or should they go for a staggered approach um i guess that's going to depend on a couple of things it's going to depend on the size of your company the resources you've got and also what if you have an existing if you have an existing audience of which to promote the new products to if you're if i'm if you're a small company you don't have an audience then you would want to find somewhere that has that audience so that's where asia network and other companies come into play but your question specifically about uh, should it be simultaneously or should it be one by one? I would say you want to have content available that can capture people whatever stage of their buying journey they're in. So 
if we take the three of us, we might one of us might be ready to buy tomorrow a product that you're selling. Sarah might just be needing, she might be comparing you to other companies and Frankie might just be finding out about you. You want to have content that can um, that can satisfy each of those needs at any time so that any prospect can come to your site, come to your content and be able to convert if, if and when they're ready. Uh, any other thoughts on that? I'd Go say ahead. different channels works for different stages of the funnel because I'd say social media would be your first point of call just to generate the brand awareness and just generate the attention and the word of mouth. And then in your social media channels and the social media pay campaigns, you can see which content has worked, where where have they clicked, which different landing pages have generated the most leads or the most engagement. And then you can double down on that things and that type of content that works. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The brand awareness is, is huge, uh, especially well, if, you, if you're a smaller or mid-sized company where people m- might not have heard you, you don't have the same awareness as, as the sort of multinationals then. Yeah, yeah, social media it plays a huge role in that in terms of making sure that people are familiar with you. We actually do it ahead of our our trade shows. Uh, so we've, we started going back to trade shows, Analytica, uh, which we're headed to at the end of this month, uh, and Advanced Materials as well. So we've we've we're running brand awareness campaigns at those shows, so that by the time we get there to have the conversations, you know, the exhibitors will know who we are, and they'll know that we we specialize in marketing for science companies. We've got you know, a hundred different super specific, uh, industry specific audiences uh, and all of our messaging is, is portrayed in, in the brand awareness. Um, so about, you know, come end of June, they know exactly what we, who we are and what we do. A uh, question here from Jim. He's asking, we're planning to launch a completely, a completely new website and e-com system. How would you recommend, uh, promoting its launch? First and foremost, brand, you know, brand awareness. You, you, you want to be, you know, increasing people's awareness that you've, you've got a new site. Uh, what are the key, uh, what are the benefits of, of visiting your new site? What, what are the key features? Um, and, and maybe sort of distill that you might have a, you know, a search tool or, or, or something that helps people find exactly what they need. We've got an interactive editorial calendar as part of our, one of our new, new parts of the site, which basically means that people can book newsletters and they can, they can, they can view real life, uh, real time, uh, availability of specific newsletters you can imagine um like dealing with a hundred subject specific newsletters across multiple editions i think we do about 980 editions across the year um it becomes a bit of a an organizational challenge i won't say nightmare but it, it was a challenge but now we've actually we've 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 come out on the front foot with it and basically um brought all of that information, brought this tool, this calendar tool that allows people to check on availability at the front end. So our customers can do it without the need for having to ask for dates. And then we go back through a, like a clunky email chain. Um, so I'd say that's a new feature that, that we've been hammering recently. Um, it, you know, if there's any new features like that, I'd say get on, get on to well, find out where your customers live on social media and, um, and you know, complement that with with a multi-channel approach through email marketing, social, through third-party sites, um, yeah, through, through face-to-face, through through trade shows. Just make sure that everybody's on message and, and people have the right information. Your email signatures, even your email signatures for, from your your custom uh, from your salespeople. Yeah, we how many how many emails do we send as a sales team on an annual basis? we're probably looking at tens of thousands. So if you've got it, if you've got the highlight of your new website and your new features of the website in your, uh, 
in your email signature and that's across everybody, then yeah, that's real estate that you can own. I'd say, because they're, they're also launching a completely new e-com system. Get on your explainer videos, distributed all across social media and across other websites, anything, any other audience or any other platforms like Azon Network, like you can do, um, explain what are the benefits of the new website, what are they keep the unique selling points that that website has, how, how much faster are they going to find, what they're going to need, find what makes your website better to what you previously had and this e-com system and explain it and, you know, shout out and, as you say, frankly, multi-channels are everywhere. Yeah. Um, I, I'd say, Jim, if the, the good place to say, so why did you do it in the first place? I'm presuming you did it to make the buyer's journey more easily, but when you're doing your press releases, your emails, your social campaign, just be where you see a lot of companies when they launch a new website, they announce the launch of their new website, but it's all about them being happy that they've got a new website. Whereas you haven't done it for yourself. You've done it for uh, your customers. So um, if you're, if you've launched an e-commerce site, then you presumably you've made it easier for your customers to buy from you. So explain your videos, like Cyrus said, you can even jump on video calls with your existing companies, com- com- customers um, to run demos on how to go through that process if it's um, if it's sort of a, the sort of company that you repeatedly sell uh, products to, or um, use one main product, but then you need other things uh, as you go through the life cycle, then again, explain those uh, in your videos and just make it really easy for people to understand. But yeah, like Frankie and Sarah said, lots of uh, lots of good ideas there for how you yeah. can share that. L- love, yeah. Just to double down on Sarah's idea, love the animation idea. Like it, it, it distills. You know, how does the new e-commerce site work? Bang! You, you, you can you can basically address that in a, even a thirty-second animated video. You could you could do that really really well. And you can embed it on your website once it's done. You can reshare on social media. By the way, have you noticed we've changed this? It just it, you're going to keep reusing it and reusing it for for a good while. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good place to to finish things up. Uh, Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Frankie. Uh, Thank you to everyone who joined us today and for participating in the webinar. Frankie touched on it. We're going to be at Advanced Materials in Birmingham in a couple of weeks and Analytica in Munich at the end of the month. So if you are going to those events, please do uh, come and visit the booth and, uh, and have a chat with us about your digital marketing. If you need help with reaching new audiences, with Uh, any aspects of content within your buyer's journeys, then please do reach out and we'll be able to be able to give you a helping hand. Uh, Any other final points, Frankie, Sarah, before we wrap it up? Um, All good from me. Yeah, same. If you have any other questions about the, um, the report, just as Danny said, just don't hesitate to get in contact. Yeah, so yeah, you can find us all on LinkedIn or you can directly get to us at marketing at azonetwork.com. Uh, yeah, do share your feedback and your thoughts on that report. Thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the rest of your days and we'll see you all again soon. Thank you. Thank you. A big thanks for tuning into this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening and want to find out more, then you can watch the full webinar or download the market report by following the links in the comments. This podcast was edited by Sarah Lopez-Segura and Rebecca Turpin and brought to you by Azo Network. I'll be back again soon with some more special guests for the marketing science community. We hope you can join us then. And until next time, take care and thanks for listening.